Well, another week and another win for Heckey's Blades. Welcome to the Star Blades with myself, Steve Jones, Chris Holt, our sports editor, and James Shield, our in-house Blades expert. James, three points last weekend, again, but at what cost? Um, how significant is that Rian Brewster injury, do we know? Yes, uh, I mean, it's clearly really significant. I don't think Sheffield United would have uh, recalled Daniel Jebison from his loan spell at, at Burton Albion if Rian wasn't going to be facing a, a prolonged period on the sidelines. It's a, it's a massive blow. Let, I shouldn't use that word, should I? It's a huge blow, I should say, uh, for Sheffield United and for Rian himself because, you know, the kid was really beginning to show some good form. He was he was scoring goals. He was beginning to look like the player that Sheffield United thought they'd signed. And his confidence was clearly really up. Uh, as we've touched on before on this podcast, possibly he was a little bit too too confident for Billy Sharp's liking at times. Uh taking pot shots from from here, there and everywhere rather than uh, rather than passing to his captain. But you know to to lose him now I think is, uh, I, I, I really don't think you can overestimate what a setback that is. That's no slight on Daniel Jebison. Uh, I think he'll bring things to the team that, you know, possibly Rian Brewster wouldn't. But there's no point in pretending that losing your record signing and your record signing who's banging form ahead of possibly the busiest period that you're going to face in the season is uh, is anything other than bad news. Because that's exactly what it is, bad news. Chris, you're looking really radiant with your influencer light there. You must have. Uh, <laughs> um, I, still I still can't work out what's happened to put it on. Yeah. <laughs> At least it hasn't started changing colour. Um, what did you reckon to the Peterborough performance, anyway? Um, good, steady. I think. I think um, it, it was the kind of performance I think that, um, given that that it's been something of a roller coaster of a season. I think a little bit of steadiness and consistency wouldn't actually go amiss at the minute, and that's exactly what it was. It wasn't brilliant by any stretch. It was good, and um, that's really all you want: a win, a decent performance. Sadly, as we as we know, you know, if you can come through your games with a win, a decent performance, clean sheet, and injury free, that's literally all that you want. Unfortunately, we didn't get the the injury aspect of it, but all the rest of them were. Two out of three aren't bad. I'm not going to yeah, exactly. say <laughs> Exactly. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was it, it was just good. And, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, I would take good every single week. Am I the only one who was slightly... Definitely not. It did, of course, didn't I? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. We'll get on to that in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Am I the only one who was slightly relieved when that goal went in? Because it... It was one of those ones, I don't want to say banana skin, but like it's just sometimes just about winning and, and keeping that momentum, James. I don't know. Yeah, that's, a, that, that's exactly what it's about. I mean, listen, I, I've heard managers before say, well, you know, one on this patch, actually, not so long ago, uh, not, not at Bramall Lane, but on this patch, sort of talk about, you know, well, I don't really look at the league table. I don't really look at, you know, I'm not so much bothered about results. I, I look at performances. You know, that's the thing. That's the big thing, performances. Because if you get performances, results will follow. Well, yeah, of course, I get all that. You know, very few teams, despite the old cliche about, you know, champions win games when they play terrible. Well, chances are they haven't actually played terribly. They've, they've probably just slipped a little bit below their usual standards. 
But all this stuff about it being about performances rather than results, it's, it's a load of rubbish. It's nonsense, absolute nonsense. It's this modern day sort of coaching drivel that just drives most of us over the age of 30 absolutely mad, I think. Because, yeah, football is about winning games. If Sheffield United want to go up this season, they're going to have to win games. There's no points for style. It's not ice skating, you know. And if they're winning games, then it, you know, it means they're playing pretty well anyway. So, yeah, all the like, thought of us all holding up. It's good yeah. at the end of the match. <laughs> <laughs> I can see we've got a few likes on this podcast um, just after that, that latest rant, James. So, cheers. Good work. I, I want to ask you about managers like Russell Martin and these kind of new age coaches then, these left field guys. Um, Chris, Luke Freeman left earlier this week. Obviously, that was confirmed after the deadline. Um, that take you by surprise somewhat? No, no. Um They've never really been able to find a place for Luke Freeman because of just the way that he plays. Um, if I remember rightly, he was kind of brought in to fill in for Mark Duffy, who had just left, and then they tweaked the system, which meant that the the Duffy role kind of ceased to exist a little bit, and and Freeman didn't really fit into the positions where where the other three midfielders at the time of of him being brought in. Um, that's Fleck, Norwood, and at the time John Lundstrom. He didn't. He wasn't quite able to fill any of those positions that that they did. Certainly not as well as as they were doing at the time. So he just found it really difficult to get in. And then of course he went out on loan to Nottingham Forest to varied success. I would say I think he was fairly steady at some stages, but was troubled by an injury. And then when he came back, you're looking at him and thinking. Well, really, is he going to get into that team? Is he is he better than Ollie Norwood? Is he better than Conor Hurrahan? Is he better than John Fleck, who you know hasn't actually been able to get in the team himself of late? So I can't imagine he's on like mega mega money, but he's on enough that you would uh, you'd notice it when yeah. um, when he's gone and that those that few quid is in your own pocket rather than in his, I guess. So, yeah, no, no not a surprise. It's a bit of a shame because I think he came, came to the club, you know, highly rated and a, a really good player, but um, he, he may become a, a kind of a bit of a byword for Sheffield Wynn, sorry. So I'm working on Sheffield, something Sheffield Wednesday before we come on. He may become a bit of a Sheffield, a byword for Sheffield United's recruitment at the time, where kind of you looked at it and went, okay, we knew that they weren't going to be breaking the bank and buying Premier League players and players from Europe and all this kind of thing, but he was a, he was a fairly solid championship footballer. And I think at the time when United signed him, we thought, well, is this the way they're, they're going down? Um, so that kind of might um, that might be so that might be how he's remembered mostly, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd I'd agree with most of that, or pretty you know all of that. I think there's a there's almost a touch of the Ricky Holmeses, isn't there, about this this deal? Yeah, you know where I can remember in the very very early days of Chris Wilder's reign, as most people watching this will, will, will remember. You know, Ricky Holmes was almost he was 
he was Chris Wilder's Dan Byrne, wasn't he? I, I you was know, just about to say. I was about to make the exact same comparison. Yeah, and he, uh, <laughs> you know, Dan, <laughs> he was, uh, you know, it, like Nigel Atkins. He obviously knew something, Nigel, didn't he? When you look I at where Dan's turned up now, but uh, he wasn't far wrong. Yeah, that's uh, and 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 to be fair to Nigel as well. Just while I'm on that, he, I, I know he he copped a lot of flack following his time at Bramall Lane, but I will say he was the the one manager that I I can remember around that period who really really saw something in Dominic Calvert Lewin as well. So you know, perhaps perhaps they should have pushed the boat out and brought Dan in. I I don't know, but. You know, Chris Chris spent ages chasing Ricky, and then by the time he sort of came in, uh, you know, they'd, they'd changed the system and they'd signed a great winger, probably one of the best wingers in the in the English Football League at the time, but brought him to a club that didn't actually play with wingers. And that was obviously an issue <laughs> for for Ricky, wasn't it? I think that was one of the big reasons why he didn't actually he didn't actually get in the team. And yeah, with with Luke, I I, I agree with what you said, Chris. And I think the problem is sometimes with players, when they don't play, when they don't sort of feel involved, even beyond the financial considerations, you may as well just sort of cut them loose then. Because I think by the time Luke had reached the point or by the time Sheffield United had returned to the championship and you would have thought Luke could be a, you know, Luke, Luke might be a real asset for the uh, for the football club here. I think he was probably a, a space in his own head where his time at Sheffield United had just passed, really. You know, I mean, he'd, he'd spent an awful long time away from the football club. Despite all the stuff that players will tell you about, oh, you know, that's my own, good lads, all of that. He, he, he was probably more, he probably felt more connected to Nottingham Forest by that point than he actually did Sheffield United. And I, I totally understand that. So... I think just from a football, just just from a human perspective, almost there's there's no point in keeping players who aren't going to play regularly every week when they're good players. You know, Luke Freeman didn't grow up dreaming of being a substitute for for Sheffield United, did he? He didn't grow up dreaming of being a substitute for anybody. He grew up as a kid when he was knocking the ball around in a playground somewhere in Bethnal Green, dreaming of being a footballer. And you know, I'm I'm pleased for Luke. That that's something that he'll probably get a chance to be again. Yeah, it feels like something slightly similar is afoot with Max Lowe at Forest currently. Obviously, we we never really saw the best of him at Bramall Lane, but he's he's enjoyed a good time of it elsewhere. Mm. Uh, I presume this is another guy, James, who we're perhaps unlikely to see again in the Sheffield United shirt. Well, I know. <sighs> I know at the start of the season, Max was was really frustrated with with how things had gone for him at the football club. He didn't blame anybody for that, but he wanted to play football exactly the same as in exactly the same way that Luke Freeman will have wanted to play football, in exactly the same way that Ricky Holmes will have wanted to play football, in exactly the same way that even Mark McNulty will have wanted to to play football when when he was at Sheffield United, and you know. Max is Max is doing that now, isn't he? At, at Nottingham Forest, whether or not we'll see him again in the Sheffield United shirt, listen, only Paul Eckingbottom can really answer that, and perhaps not even Paul Eckingbottom. The bean counters at Bramall Lane are the ones who'll probably be able to answer that because I I suspect we're going to be heading for a, a pretty hectic summer and a, a, a summer of change at the football club. But yeah, I'm listen. I'm not going to be falling off my 
I'm not going to be falling off my chair if Sheffield United announce that they've they've sold Max. Uh, if they bring him back, I hope he's involved because I think he's a good player. I think he can get better. I think he's obviously developed during his time at the City ground. But there's no point in bringing him back just to be a, a, a third choice or, or something like that. I don't think that's good for the the morale and the mood at the football club. I don't think that's that's good or fair on on Max Lowe either. Yeah, let's move on. And business at the other end. I don't think we spoke about Charlie Good too much. Chris, um, I presume one of the headlines in the paper was good bit of business or something along those lines, a, a similar pun. Um, I think it was. I think it was. But I, I'm hereby banning it from being used as a pun. Yeah. <laughs> so we've had a couple of days out of it and that's it done now. But it does seem like a, a genuinely... Decent acquisition. <laughs> you say good. You can say good. Yeah. Okay. But it does seem. Like I must admit, I don't know an awful lot about him. I, well, I certainly can't. I, certainly not a player that I've, I've studied. Um, he's as as we said a couple of days ago. He's a player who's hungry. You know, he's got. Something of a point to prove in that is his career's kind of leveled out a little bit in that he's you know he's he's risen through the ranks and got himself a good move, but circumstances have meant that he's not um he's not been able to to play as often as, as he would have as he would have liked. So he'll be coming to Sheffield United hungry and and like I say, wanting to prove a point that he's that he's capable of playing at at a very high level. And so that's the kind of player that Sheffield United have have looked towards in the last six or seven years, I guess, said eight years, and um, and they've done well out of that kind out of out of that strategy, as it were, and so hopefully that that he he goes down the same road as the likes of Mark Duffy, who who played played non league football and. Um, and John Lundstrom, who went went down, and others who played at um, at that level and, and managed to get themselves back up. So, yeah, I'm cool. off James. Yeah, I can say. Are we keeping you, James? Do you? Uh, do you no, no, I'll I'll ignore that one. It's all right. Yeah, right. Um, yes. It's all right. The person who I'm ignoring isn't actually watching this. So, <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So. Th- he seems like a decent signer. I'm not entirely sure when he'll play because they've got Ben Davies coming back from injury or illness. I can't remember the last thing that Ben had. Um, but he'll be back pretty soon. Chris Basham has been excellent over the past few weeks. John Egan hasn't been up to his normal standards, but hasn't been playing badly. Uh, he just hasn't. Just John Egan set a very high bar for himself. So, um, not quite playing quite as well as he had done in the past, but you would imagine your three centre centre backs when when everything is is well will be Chris Basham, John Egan, and Ben Davies. Um, and even then, to be fair to him, Jack Robinson, who gets an awful lot of stick, has actually played quite well in the past two or three games as well. So Charlie Good has to get in ahead of Jack as well as as everybody else. So. It'll be interesting to see when exactly we do get to see Charlie. Yeah. James, I suppose when you put it like that, when Chris Listow was centre-backs, it's, um, he didn't need another centre-half, did he? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely they did. 
they were short of a centre half, I think, when uh, when they were playing with two at the back, or two centre halves, let alone three. I think it was absolutely vital that they that they were able to bring one in, and they've done that. And I think Charlie Good will be a, a really valuable acquisition for the football club. Uh, I think with the way he plays. He's, he's got a good attitude, as as Chris said. I like the things that he's spoken about, about being a, probably won't surprise you to, to hear me say this, an old-fashioned centre-half, i.e. a defender who actually likes to defend rather than concentrate on, you know, fiddling about with his Alice band or, or, or whatever uh, and doing all the things, concentrating on all the things that defenders you know, it's supposed to be fluff for a good defender rather than the actual nuts and bolts of their job. But he can do the other side of things as well. He's, he, you know, Brentford don't sign players who aren't technically very strong. I think when you look at Brentford's recruitment programme, a recruitment programme that a lot of clubs will try and copy and have tried to copy, uh, probably without realising that Brentford spend an absolute fortune on it. But dare I say it, it's probably saved them a few quid in the in the transfer market as well. The very fact that Charlie was selected by the people down there as a player with, with the potential to grow, I think is a, is a really good sign as well. He can play in a two, he can play in a three. Uh, as Chris said, he's got a real hunger. He's come through non-league football. He's shown that desire to get his career back on track after being told he was too small. Well, he's had the laugh laugh on that, hasn't he now? Because he's six foot five. But I think one of the things as well that really sort of excited me, I, I spoke to Keith Curl, the former United defender, of course, when when Charlie came in. And Keith, probably more than anybody in football, has been a, has been a real mentor to Charlie. And he, Charlie admitted that, actually, during his, his, his sort of, I can't say press conference, can I? Because everything's back on Zoom now. But during his <laughs> during his first chat with us in the the media yesterday, and you know, he spoke about how Keith had been a real influence on his career, and he still consults him about decisions now. And Keith spoke really, really highly of him, not only as a footballer, but also as a as a person and as a character as well. And Keith knows about being a defender. Keith was a great defender in his day. He knows about management. He's a, he's a good manager as well. So to hear someone like Keith of his pedigree speak so highly of Charlie really infused me as well. And I'm just going to say as well, in case you are watching this, Keith, we did talk about going out for a drink together. And he said, well, I, I, I don't drink actually anymore. So I mentioned the coffee and I mentioned the tea. And he said, I don't have any of those. But he said, you do want to get yourself on lemon and ginger infusions. Well, Keith, I have done that now. This is the cup that I'm holding up here. And can I say, good bit of advice. If, you, if your advice about hot drink infusions is, uh, or your advice about centre-arse is as good as your advice about drink infusions, then Sheffield United are onto a winner here. Okay. That's, um, I didn't expect... Someone like you with all your views on football and old school to be drinking. No, I've just wrecked it, haven't I? I've absolutely <laughs> yeah. wrecked it. But, it yeah. your um, I've got a feeling this next question, before we go on some booming bits, might take a while. Uh, Billy Sharp, Chris, wants closure over a new contract. Um, does a new deal, do you think, does that depend on what division Sheffield United are in next year? Possibly. Um, but having said that, 
I suppose, what do you do if he fires you to the Premier League? Well, I, I, I know it's a big step up, but he's done it before. He's, he still scored goals in the Premier League, albeit not as many as, as he has done in the in the Football League. Um, I, listen, to buy somebody of Billy Sharp's ability, no matter what league you're playing in, would cost you an awful lot of money. I don't an awful lot of money. Um and so and we spoke about this before. I think regardless of what division Sheffield United are going to be in next season, I would give Billy Sharp a a year's playing contract with a kind of not a caveat but a, a an addition to that where he begins he begins kind of um ingrained himself in the in the coaching side of things and so that that's where his his future lies and um, i would really like to see billy stay on at united there seems to be a big emphasis on um oh you know bringing um amy bothroyd to the club there seems to be an emphasis on on helping coaches and and hopefully bringing coaches through which i think we spoke about before and and I would I would like to think that that the part of that is bringing through players who are already at the club who who want to stay in football at, in that respect and give them a position in the club in coaching and and help them along as they as they kind of I mean Billy's got his own academy he knows what he's doing but still it's a lot it's that's a bit different than than working with you know, would be professional footballers. But yeah, I, I would give Billy a year playing and spend half his him spending half his week working with um I don't know, the under sixteens strikers for you know, for example. Yeah, it's absolutely bang on. I mean Billy Billy's the leading goal scorer at the moment. The chances are with Ryan Brewster being injured, he's probably going to finish the season as the leading goal scorer at the football club. I think the only person who will really challenge him is Morgan Gibbs-White and he's not Sheffield United's player. He's on loan from Wolves. You don't let... Listen, forget about the age. Don't look at the age. Look at the goals that he's scoring. I know he might be missing a few more chances than he did, you know, five, six years ago, but you don't let your top goal scorer walk out of a football club. You, you just don't. And as Chris said... Billy himself, he's not daft. He knows he's not going to be getting a three, four-year deal. You give him another one-year deal, you offer him that, and as Chris quite rightly said, at the end of that, you offer him a route. If he feels he's still got nothing to add on the football pitch, and he may well still be in a position where he does, you offer them a, you know, a route into, into coaching at the, at the football club because you don't want to see a great player walk out of the building and you don't want to see all that knowledge as well walk out of the building either so it will happen with some players because they don't have a connection with the area they don't have the same emotional investment in the football club but billy does Bill, billy will be settling in sheffield i'm sure when he when he gives up football when he retires or, or certainly spending an awful lot of time here don't let him walk out the football club don't even take that risk ridiculous to even consider doing anything else right let's move on final topic Birmingham City tomorrow night Friday night under the lights Chris if another one that feels really winnable 
Yeah. Um, it. Yeah, it should be possibly similar to um, to Peterborough last week, where you know I, I I think they'll probably be difficult to break down. I think they'll the that's that's going to be their biggest Sheffield United's biggest issue. I think tomorrow night when they play, um, I, I may be wrong here, but without having checked, I don't think they can see bucket loads of goals. So they're going to be, they, you know, they're United are going to have to bide their time and take those few chances that come their way. I think that's that's slightly their biggest issue at the minute. They're um, with Brewster missing and him coming into a bit of form. It'd be interesting to see who who does come in there if McGoldrick comes in. I think David McGoldrick is is starting to miss a lot more than than he used to. That may be sharpness. He's not playing as often as as he used to. That's so. That's you know, it's entirely fair that it's and, and he's always been like that. Actually, if we're if we're completely honest, at Sheffield United bar maybe one season, he has always been a, a a striker who it might take three or four chances before he before he puts one away, and that that's often been the case. Um. So, like I say, it'll be interesting to see who they rely upon now that that rain comes in they may well surprise us and throw daniel, daniel jefferson straight in i would doubt that but then i don't know right let's be honest he's been playing really regularly and he's been scoring goals um so he could well do and fair play to him if he does but that going back to my original point i don't think they'll get loads of chances and so they're going to have to be really on their on their game to to put those away the the ones that do come along. James, um, it feels like stopping Troy Deeney and Lyle Taylor. I mean, that's a big physical forward line that could be uh, key as well, couldn't it? Yeah, Lyle will have a, a point to prove as well because, of course, he was at he was at Bramall Lane under under David Weir, uh, and I know he felt that he didn't get the opportunities that he uh, that he warranted at the time. So I'm sure footballers being footballers. He'll, he'll enjoy the uh, the opportunity to prove Sheffield United wrong. You're right, Steve. I suspect this game will boil down to Sheffield United's ability to be able to actually play and dictate and steer the game in a way that they're going to want it to be steered in because we all know how Birmingham are going to approach it. This isn't a criticism, by the way. Uh, in fact, it's a it's a pat on the back because Lee Bowyer has obviously looked at what he's got and has decided to to set up in a style that suits what he's got rather than do what we you're going to set me off again, but do what you see so many managers do across the the leagues now, and that is try and play, try and replicate what Pep Guardiola does at Barcelona with you know six foot five inch forwards who like to get their head on the end of a ball rather than tap it about but and then they wonder why it all goes wrong lee hasn't done that he's been pragmatic he's been sensible birmingham will be tough they will be direct they'll look to get at sheffield united i think sheffield united can win the game and should win the game but they're going to have to win that physical battle first they're going to have to front up to that and just earn the right to be able to play the football that they would they would rather do 
they they would prefer to play. It's going to be really interesting this as well because there's talk obviously of fans protests as well at, at St Andrews. Sort of brings back memories of a of a match Sheffield United played at Coventry quite a few years ago when they were when they were coming through the divisions under Chris Wilder, and that that was almost that was a bit. If that does materialise at St Andrews, that that match at the Rico Arena, that that was a a test of concentration as, as much as it was as much as it I was. United United struggled for long periods in that game, yeah. just because it was it was such a big distraction. I remember Chris Wilder being he was furious about the fact that he just wanted, you know, he, he understood that fans had the right to protest, but it was it was getting in the way of the game, and it can be a big distraction when you're trying to. You're trying to play your game, and and you know things are being thrown on the pitch, or or whatever it is that Birmingham City fans are planning on doing. Or... And it and it, and it was, you know, I I'd, I'd normally get a little bit sniffy about stuff like this, but I can remember actually struggling to write that night as well. Don't no snide comments on the bottom of this <laughs> on the bottom of this feed. But it was really it it was even in the press box, it was really difficult to concentrate. So it was perhaps a little bit of a reminder for me as well that you know not to not to get too dismissive about about things like that because it was it was it was it was such a, a strange almost eerie atmosphere that night down at the Rico I, I hope it's and I, I suspect it probably won't be quite as bad as that at, at St Andrews but I do think this is going to be a test of Sheffield United's ability to to dictate the course of a game to to dictate the style of a game and to be able to do that, they are going to have to be able to stand up to uh, to Birmingham's physical threat, as you as you've said, Steve. Yeah, right. twenty minutes will be key here, I suspect. Chris, we'll take one question uh, before we wrap up. Um, Christopher Barton, with the amount of matches coming up in a short space of time, do you think we'll get into the playoffs, or do you think the players will get tired towards the end of the season? Um, no, I think they've got a, a squad big enough and. Um, more than capable of dealing with the the amount of fixtures. Um, United are only a little bit worse off than most teams, really. You know, everybody's got everybody's got a lot of games to play. United are playing catch up by maybe one or two compared to others in and around them. So, um, no, I wouldn't get I wouldn't get too bogged down in the in the schedule. Everybody's more or less similar or the odd game here and there. And like I say, I think I think the squad that United has, there's enough quality in it to call upon um to call upon players. Unless of course something really bad happens, which touch wood won't. Um but I do think um no, I do think they are capable of, of maintaining that momentum um, despite the amount of fixtures that they have. Yeah, Darren O'Keefe says playoffs this season up in two seasons. Hopefully it doesn't take that long, but we'll see. That's all for this week anyway. Uh, roll on Friday and hopefully another three points. In the meantime, you can stay up to date with all the latest Sheffield United news at thestar.co.uk forward slash Sheffield United. Bye for now.